The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Today is the last Wednesday of the month, which is always a scary day for me. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Let's just say it that way. 20 plus years and question and answer week where there's no guest, just listeners calling or emailing with questions is always a bit of a risk. It's the question in my mind is always, will enough people call to make it a whole show (laughs) and not... Uh, not just leave me here kind of making announcements about how it's question and answer week. So if you have a, if you have any question, um, doesn't matter if you figure like, it seemed like it's a really newbie question, or if you're thinking, well, I'm probably the only person in the world who has this problem. So I'm sure she doesn't want to hear it as long as it's about real estate investing. I do in fact want to hear it. Now here's, here's a, here's a trick for you. If you go to realliferealestate.com, realliferealestate.com, that is our uh, official website, which I will come back to in a moment because there's some other important stuff there. And on that site, there is a tab that says, ask a question. And you can actually use that tab any time of the day or night. It's not going to get, you know, I'm not going to respond to your question personally, Um I'll respond to it on the air next time I get a chance. But if you if you ever if you ever listen to Q and A week and saying, "Man, she sounds like she really needs questions. I wish I could remember what it was I wanted to ask last week." You don't have to wait. You can go to realliferealestate.com, click the Ask a Question tab, and put your question in there, and it'll come by email. And then I drop it over into my little box called Radio Show to answer later. So that is one way to make the contact. Um, a better way, I'm, I'm not gonna say better, it sounds judgmental. We can't, we can't judge these things. Another way to make contact where I, it's guaranteed I'm going to get your question before the end of the show is by calling 877-772-9658. That's 877 and then two more sevens, seven, seven, two, nine, six, five, eight. And it'll ring into the studio here and we'll be able to get your question live. And sometimes that's better because like if it's something complex where I have to say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, what do you need by that? It's, it's harder to do by email. So 
question and answer week. Let me let me summarize. It's question and answer week. You can ask any question about real estate investing at uh, 877-772-9658. Or you can go to our website at realliferealestate.com and ask the question uh, that way. Now, it happens that I have three or four questions saved up here that people have asked over the last couple of weeks. And one of them is from Tom, who is right here right here in the greater Cincinnati area. And Tom says, a few weeks ago, I was listening to your program with the guy who does turnkey rentals. Unfortunately, I missed the first third of it or so, and I'm not sure who the fellow was and had some questions for him. How can I find out more? Well, Tom, that's another reason to go to realliferealestate.com because you know what else is there? Archived programs. One of the wonderful things that the station does here is uh, record and put up on uh, iTunes all of the shows. Now, for those of us who are older than 28 and we don't automatically know how to go to iTunes and find a show, uh, what we've done is we've just put the feed up on realliferealestate.com. The fellow who you're looking for, his name is Rob Gillespie. And you'll see his picture up there at the top, and I'll say Rob Gillespie, Turnkey Reynolds. And then when you're done listening to him, there's like 170 more shows that you can download and listen to. You could listen to Vina 24-7, 365, if that's what you wanted to do. So thank you for your question, Tom. Appreciate that. Um, We are going to take a quick break because we actually have a call that has just come in, and I don't want to take the call and then have to break in a minute and a half. So we're going to go ahead and take our our first uh, little break here early. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Raylina from Cincinnati and to you at 877-772-9658 or realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. The way to ask those questions is either go to our website at realliferealestate.com, look for the Ask a Question tab, or give us a call at 877-772-9658, just as Raylina did, who is from Cincinnati and on line one. Raylina, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, thank you. Appreciate you taking my call. Very glad to do it since you're, I'm looking at this big board that says line one, two, three, four, five, six. And there's one person's name in it, and that is yours. All <laughs> so right. I appreciate the phone call. Not a problem. I've actually been looking forward to this all week because I just found out about um, REI and um, your show, and I was really looking forward to Wednesday. I set my alarm by it. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, my question has to do with a uh, subject to existing mortgage real estate purchase that we're getting ready to do, mm-hmm. and um, it actually happens to be my in-laws, so we're kind of operating under the assumption, I'm meeting with the lawyer tomorrow, but we're operating under the assumption that um, because it's a direct descendant and a lineal bloodline that the uh, due-on-sale clause won't apply according to the Congress Act, St. Germain, but we're checking on that tomorrow. My specific question is, I can't figure out when taking over a property subject to about the taxes for the following year, considering that the loan is still in their name and the property is in our name. So when she goes to file her taxes, is there a way or a clause or something that needs to be put into subject to contracts that they can show to their tax um, person, their CPA, in order to make sure all of that is um, 
kosher, I guess, is <laughs> the only word I can come up with. All right, Raylena, I'm going to answer the question that you asked, and then I'm going to answer about three questions that you should have asked, but okay. you didn't You didn't know to ask because this is the first time you've, you've done this. Um, Correct. First of all, congratulations on you know, being ready to pull the trigger. That's awesome. Uh, the, the, what, what you're referring to when you say the taxes is you're referring to the tax deduction and it, for the interest payment, right? For in, interest payment and real estate taxes. And the thing is that the, the 1099 interest form is going to be issued to your in-laws in their social security numbers when in fact you are the one who paid the interest. And so you Correct. should, you should be the one to get to uh, deduct it. The, the really clean way to deal with that is have your in-laws deduct it if they typically would, which well, I'll come to, I'm going to get to another question here in a minute that will tell me whether or not they typically would. And then you send them a statement that says you paid them that same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's a wash and for you, it's a deduction. They they show gotcha. they show that they paid out you know whatever the number is ten thousand dollars and received ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you uh, show that you paid ten thousand dollars, which is a deduction. Now here's my question for you: Is is this your in laws' primary residence? No, they're currently using it as a rental. Okay, so they are right now deducting it. Correct. Okay, because if, if it was their primary residence, a lot of people don't even they don't use the itemized deduction because the standard deduction is larger. Right. For, for anybody who owns a house worth less than about three hundred fifty thousand dollars, is not gonna right. is not gonna, you know, use the use the itemized deduction. So, um, has this ever been their primary residence? Many years ago, I think it was um, close to fifteen, ten, between ten and fifteen years ago. Okay, so they they have long since bought other houses, and it hasn't been a problem. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, the reason I ask is there was a change in. Not the law, but in um, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA policy about two years ago. So we've been going on two years now. Mm-hmm. That uh, about, about how people had to qualify for a new loan. And it basically said that if, you, if it's your primary residence, this doesn't apply to your in-laws because it's not their primary residence. But in case you do this again with somebody else... Um, because they, uh, if they owned it as a primary residence, in order to weigh the fact that you are making the payments against their the debt that they owe, they would have to owe less than what less than eighty two percent of what the property was worth. So, for a lot of people who would like you to buy their property subject to the existing loan. They can't mm-hmm. because if they if they sell it that way, they can't then qualify for the next loan on the next house. It doesn't doesn't apply though. It probably doesn't apply to a loan that old anyway because they probably would owe less than eighty two percent. And it also doesn't typically apply to investment properties. So right. Well, they're actually doing the um, the refinance because she wants cash out to consolidate some debt she has. And she's doing... So they're doing a refinance, and then I'm taking over the refinance. They're doing a refi as an investment loan, though, not as a yes owner-occupant loan. Okay. Correct. That's actually going to com- complicate things a little bit, mm-hmm. that it's going to be a brand-new loan, and then the deed is going to transfer. That that rule that you were looking at in the Garn St. Germain Act, 
does not does not in fact say that they can give the house to their kids and the loan can't be called due. What it says is a transfer of the property into a living trust where the borrower, that's your in-laws, remains the beneficiary of that trust mm-hmm. for estate planning purposes does mm-hmm. not trigger the due on sale clause. It, so that was the original plan was to create the trust and have them as the beneficiaries and us as the trustee. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read um, I read the Congressional Act for the St. Germain and then I read it again in the ORC and I must have misread it because I was I I didn't see anything or I don't remember seeing anything. I've looked into this stuff so many times it all gets <laughs> kind of muddled down. It all turns into as clear as mud. Um, so you're saying that that still would need to apply as far as putting the trust together. It it well, and 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 then what happens if what you, if what you do is you create an you you create one of these living trusts or they create one of these living trusts and they stay the beneficiary and you become the trustee. The position you're in at that point is that you do, in fact, control the house, mm-hmm. but only at their direction. Mm-hmm. And they, in fact, still effectively own it. Like it's still all, all, all the benefits are still supposed to flow through to them. So let me let me let's just back up and let me ask you a question. If you go to sure. the lawyer tomorrow and he says what he should say, which is no, if you do this, it will still trigger the due on sale clause. What is your plan B? The trust was, I guess, going back to the trust would be plan B. Other than that, we had talked about doing it as a lease option, making the actual lease payment equivalent to the There mortgage. you go. Because that, 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 if you're truly worried about the due on sale clause, and, and on a brand new mortgage, I think I would be. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry about it if you were taking over their 15-year-old loan, but for that first... For that first year or so, the, the yeah. bank actually is looking pretty closely at who it is that's sending the checks in and paying the taxes and whatnot. Right. And there's not really, we're we're not talking about, we're talking about a very, very, very cheap property mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it has a tenant in place, but one that she didn't really do a whole lot of research on to place them in, the, in there at the first time. Um. And there's just not a whole lot of monthly spread on this. So to keep it long term, there's a lot of equity because she's only going to charge us for what she's actually refinancing it for, which is honestly only about half of what it's worth. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of equity, but there's not a lot of monthly spread. So I'm, I'm kind of tossing coins every other day like how how to just like market how 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 much how much is the rent? She's only charging five twenty-five. Holy cow! Where is it? Right, um, Adams County. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. I get it. Um. <laughs> they could, they she could easily because it's sitting on over like an acre, acre and a half. So uh-huh. she even when she had it listed through a realtor way back when, um, I mean, she could easily be getting six out of it. Mm-hmm. She just when someone approaches approached her and said, "Hey, I'll move in," she just kept lowering the price until they mm-hmm. said yes. Okay. So, and what what is what is your outgoing payment going to be? Um, at this point, it's going to be uh, right at four between four fifty and four seventy five. They're finalizing the numbers now because she hasn't finished the refi. And does that include taxes and insurance? Yeah. Okay. So your your monthly spread is actually going to be negative. 
Yeah. Because by the time, you know, you've, you've set aside, basically you, you got to figure bare minimum that you're going to set aside for maintenance and vacancy and long-term repairs and things like that. It's going to be about $170 a month. We usually use the number 20% of gross, but Mm -hmm. the gross is so low here. I mean, a roof is still going to cost the same amount, whether you're getting 525 a month rent or 625 a month rent, right? So, mm-hmm. so there's a, there's right. a minimum on that. So you're actually you're actually going to be paying to own this. And I will tell you, I mean, I understand other maintenance issues are going to come up, but one of the stipulations that we had with her before we do this was that she replace and update the septic tank and the roof. Mm-hmm. So before I even sign a contract with her. They'll have a brand new roof and a brand new septic, since those are usually going to be the two most expensive things that are going to go as soon as I sign my name on something. But yeah, especially the septic. Like that'll happen. The, right. That'll, that'll happen the day after you close. Um, right. The uh, okay. That that's that's all well and good, but I I'm saying that it costs twenty percent of the gross rent to maintain a house that is newly stabilized, mm-hmm. like that has you know a. a, a Furnace with more than 10 years life left, a roof with more than 10 years life left, windows with more than 10 years life left. It still really does mm-hmm. cost that much and it sneaks up on you. I mean, you don't, you're like $170 a month. There's no way I'm going to spend that every month. Well, wait till you have a vacancy. Right. And you have to paint it and carpet it and make the payment that month anyway. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, keep it hot, keep it warm in the wintertime so that when people come to look at it, they don't freeze, right? It, it's, it, trust me, it's going to cost you $170 a month. You need to set that aside uh, to maintain mm-hmm. it. So um, if it were me, Raylena, I would still do this deal because because to control that much equity mm-hmm. is worth 40 or 50 bucks a month to me. I would, however, when I when I write the lease option... It's not just going to be that your payments match. It's going to be, because this is both of your intention, I think, it's going to be that your payoff, whenever you decide to pay it off, is going to be equal to whatever her mortgage balance is at that time. Correct. So that you're actually getting, like, reduced, you know, you're, you're paying, you're, you're kind of paying off some loan. So between, with that, between the tax breaks you will get and the mortgage pay down, you should come out roughly even. It's going to feel like you're coming out of pocket every month. But when you count in the appreciation tax breaks and and, um, equity pay down, you should be coming out roughly the same, assuming there's no other big gotchas about to happen. You know, assuming there's not a 20-year-old water heater in there or an electric system that doesn't really work or something like that. Yeah, because I've been focusing this last um, two or three weeks on our exit strategy with this. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it's not close. You know, it's Adams County. Mm -hmm. You know, three counties over. But... um, you know, my exit strategy was um, a offered to the tenants that are in there on a 12-month like lease option to buy situation mm-hmm. if they can't go to the bank directly, mm-hmm. um, and if they aren't interested in purchasing this because they had at one point expressed interest, then market it directly to landlords by advertising it as a turnkey investment. Um, but my concern, I have no idea how to calculate how much it is as a rental property because it's only being appraised as a residential when she went to refinance it. Yeah, or or how many landlords there are out in Adams County dying to get into a there's turnkey act- rental yeah. situation. Yeah, there's actually a lot of investors out there. Like, they just sit, uh, sit on them. What? And most, 
Yeah. What what most do, of them are. What what do you think the house is 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 worth? The appraisal that just happened a week ago called it 55. Okay. And you're getting And it that was for, with the roof and septic as it is. And you're getting for 25 or something. Um after everything's said and done, we'll be doing 35. So not quite a little over half is okay. what yeah. So if her if her payments four fifty a month, that's got to be a shorter than thirty year loan. Yeah, yeah, she's got it set. Um, she's I think they're offering her a twelve. It's also hard to get her to understand how to set this up with them so that we can take it over. So <laughs> well, yeah, because if she can keep going back and forth, if she it. would do a fifteen or twenty year loan, you could keep it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Be- Okay. Yeah. See, my first thought when you said acre and a half out in Adams County was, boy, I wish Dodd-Frank would go away because that is a perfect land contract property. If, mm-hmm. if I had a property like that, I could sell it on land contract every day of the week, 10 times over. And if it's worth 55, I could sell it for 65 on yeah. land contract. However, the problem with that right now is when it's a homeowner, and that's who it'll be, um, you can't put balloons in the land contracts anymore. So you're going to end up carrying that for probably 15 to 20 years to get it to fully amortize and that's that's watch for dodd frank to be repealed because if that's if it's repealed that's your best exit strategy on that property but up until that point doing the lease option lease option is is second best i mean of course the the difference is on a lease option you got a tenant who is supposed to buy on a land contract you got a buyer who's making payments right and those right. two things are those two things are not the same. Yeah, m- most lease options fail in the sense that the person doesn't actually buy the property. So yeah, you might want to might want to see if I mean it sounds like your mother in law is kind of doing you guys a favor here. She doesn't want the, she doesn't she want is. the rental, but she uh, she's giving you pretty good terms. Um, see mm-hmm. if you can get her to do like a. She just she just needs to walk away from it. She's been so frustrated. She hasn't been able to. She's only been advertising it to owner occupants. Yeah, I hear you. But if and she would, if she would get a twenty year loan, you could probably afford a local property manager to deal with it for you. The payment, uh-huh. would, the payment would probably drop low enough that you could at least get somebody to rent it up and deliver notices if notice needed to be delivered. Yeah, even if she would do a fifteen, it would give me you know enough of a spread that I would at least be not as under every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's you know, that's something I hear to talk what you're about. Saying there. Yeah, but if you're if you're worried about the due on sale clause, and I would be on a brand new loan like this, your 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 best option is a, a lease option, or you actually could do a land contract. Land contracts officially trip the due on sale clause, but no one's ever going to notice. So, right. I mean, I say that, and of course, you'll be the first person that anybody ever noticed by <laughs> house on land contract that was subject to it. Yeah. But um, yeah. But uh, something other than the subject, too, because what you think is going to protect you about lineal descendants doesn't protect you unless she dies. True. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I appreciate it so much because I've been beating my head into a virtual brick wall for like three months on this deal right now. So it is... um, it's nice to to talk to somebody and actually hear, you know, some good feedback that I can actually apply. Yes, yes. And that's what, that's what, you know, you could have, you could have gotten this answer from almost anybody at Cincinnati RIA. You just had to go to a meeting. Yeah, I've actually signed up through you guys on a meetup. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, there's a meeting a week from tomorrow. Yep. I got you on my calendar. Okay. All right, Raylena, thank you so much for taking it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, 
this is, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Relina was not, in fact, the guest. It sounded kind of like she was, but uh, just a very interesting, in-depth question. We actually have another caller on the line, Carol from Kentucky, but I think we need to take a break before we get to Carol. So uh, we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means whatever is bugging you real estate investing wise, you can either give me a call here at the studio at 877-772-9658 or send an email using our website, which is realliferealestate.com. Just click the ask a question tab. Uh, We do have a caller on the line who, if she's still there, wins the prize for most patient caller of all time. So let's see. Carol, are you there? I'm still here. <gasps> Carol, yay! I can't believe you stayed on the line for 15 minutes. That's awesome. Thank you. Did you have a question? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I'm, uh, I wouldn't have stayed here for 15 minutes. Uh, um, okay, so um, my husband and I are pretty experienced at buying real estate and leasing properties and many different facets. But one thing we've never done is buy, uh, have anything to do with the foreclosure. Mm-hmm. And we looked at, uh, we saw a house. It's in foreclosure, and we immediately shut down and went, eh, nah, not going to deal with it. But the more we looked at the house, uh, I mean, it looks really good. And so what I'd like to do is um, uh, have you tell about the top three caveats. <laughs> okay. So, that if, if so we can decide based on that whether we want to even go there. I hear you. I have a couple of okay, questions. Okay, and I, uh, I'm i going to have to take my um, question off the air, well, okay? <laughs> actually, actually, can I ask you one quick question? Uh, sure. What stage of the foreclosure is it in? Is it is it being foreclosed upon? Is it bank-owned? What? Is the sale it happening sometime like soon? Bank owned, and the I just you know we saw it online, and uh, you know looked just real quickly. Uh, it looks like it's bank owned. Okay, and it's in Kentucky. It is okay. All right, so top three gotchas in bank owned properties is is the question here, and um, Carol, you don't you don't actually really have to worry a lot about. Uh, buying a bank-owned property out of foreclosure because you, unlike when the property is approaching foreclosure, like guys behind on his payments, but the sale hasn't happened yet, you get some time to to do the due diligence that you need to do. Um, working with the bank is, in fact, different than working with a regular seller. Uh, you don't feel like you don't feel like you're getting a lot of um, communication or uh, ability to like you know reach out and touch someone because typically you have an agent have have you go look at the property um, if it's an auction property if it's on you know one of the big auction sites and that's how you found it uh, sometimes they will give you a lockbox code without an agent but sometimes they still want you to have an agent. But either way, the offer is going to be submitted online and you don't really get to make your argument about why you're a good buyer or why your offer is a good offer. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of different than dealing with a typical seller. Having said that, the only thing that I would 
um, have you look for, and so I'm not, I, don't, I don't even know that it's it's a warning per se, is uh, are there is the bank asking you to uh, pay for anything outside of the ordinary? So if it's an auction property, there's usually a buyer's premium, so you need to know what that is so you can work it into your offer. Every once in a while, you'll find a lender who says we want an offer that is what's called net to us. So in other words, um, we want you to pay the back taxes. We want you to pay the closing costs. We just want to know how much we're receiving, right? So just, just kind of look at the language. That'll be in the purchase agreement or it'll be on the website. If, if anything's unusual, They don't banks don't typically try and hide that from you. Uh, there will be a... Uh, an earnest money deposit, assuming it's not an auction, there will be an an earnest, well, even if there is an auction, they often make you put down some earnest money. That earnest money is a fairly sizable chunk. Um, $1,000 is typical. I've seen banks ask for as much as 10% of your uh, offer. So if it's like a $200,000 property, it might be $2,000 worth of earnest money. Like in any other deal, that earnest money is refundable as long as if, if, if there's contingencies that you're exercising. So um, of course you want to get an inspection because generally foreclosed properties have been vacant for a while and there are often things wrong that aren't, aren't obvious because you, you are usually not allowed to turn the utilities on to see if there's a leak in the pipes, for instance, to see if the furnace operates, for instance. So go ahead and once you have the property under contract, once you make the offer and the bank says yes, and you have an inspection contingency in that contract, go ahead and spring for the three or 400 bucks it's gonna take you, cost you to get a professional inspection. Because if that thing's been vacant for a couple of years, there could be problems that you just can't see without somebody going through the house for three hours with a fine tooth comb. Um, the only other thing is, of course, get a title search. That is a standard part of the process with most lenders. Uh, if they can't give you clear title, they don't expect you to buy it, and they also give you back your earnest money. So a lot of people don't bother with that step with foreclosures because they say, well, it just went through foreclosure. They, you know, Anything that was on it was wiped out. Eh, not necessarily. Sometimes mistakes are made in the foreclosure process, and people who should have been notified of the foreclosure were not, and therefore the interest that they had in the property before the sheriff's sale is still there after the sheriff's sale. And there's certain kinds of liens that aren't aren't immediately wiped away by a foreclosure anyway, things like IRS liens. So just a pro, you know, don't, don't I wouldn't be too trepidatious about this. I don't think it, assuming it is a it is a bank owned property that is being sold through the process of they look at offers and not through an auction. It's not going to be horribly different than anything you've done before, except that you're going to make an offer online and it's going to go out into the ether and you're not going to hear anything about it for a week. And then you're going to get a response that says, we're in multiple offers. Give us your highest and best offer. And you're going to say, you have my highest and best offer. And that's not, you know, that's not usually you get a response the next day, right? If it's a, a regular seller. Uh, but I don't I don't think there's anything that you really have to worry about other than is title clear and do I really understand what the terms are? If I say I'm offering fifty five thousand, do I does the is the contract clear about who is paying for what, that the bank is paying for back taxes, that it, you'll be getting clear title, that sort of thing. 
Uh, so good question, Carol. Um, I, I think you might be being a little overly cautious since you are are already so experienced. Um, but I would I would go go take a look at it and you know if you need an agent involved, get an agent involved and and go for it. I mean, worst case scenario is you make the offer and it's rejected, and best case scenario is you make the offer and everything goes great, inspection goes fine, title search is fine, and you get a good deal. So thank you for your call. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Uh, If you'd like to call in your question, like Carol and Raylena did, the number is 877-772-9658. If you would like to send it by email, just go to our website, realliferealestate.com, fill out the Ask a Question tab, and send it on over. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. You can send in questions either by going to our website at realliferealestate.com or by calling 877-772-9658. Got a couple of questions that have come in here via email while I was talking to Raylan and Carol. Uh, This one is from Rod, who is in Columbus. He says, I've been generating a lot of leads through driving for dollars with the goal of wholesaling them. I am finding many sellers that owe back taxes. Many properties have a tax lien pending or a tax foreclosure. Should I avoid pursuing these types of properties? Are these types of properties deal killers for the goal of wholesaling? Rob, the answer is you don't know that until you have talked to the seller and found out exactly what their situation is and uh, how they're how they're feeling about it. Okay, um, if 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 you've got a property that's you can sell for twenty and the taxes fifteen thousand dollars worth of taxes are being foreclosed on, obviously you could make an offer that said to the seller, "I am going to give you one dollar plus. Take care of your back taxes." Right, so you're effectively paying fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Tax lien pending is it basically means the same thing. It means that the taxes have been in arrears long enough that the county is about to sell off a tax lien on the property. The good news about the tax lien pending thing is that mostly in Ohio, uh, the difference between a tax lien and a tax foreclosure is that uh, they only issue liens on properties that are occupied and are in are at least believed to be in relatively decent shape. So if you see a tax lien pending, house is probably in a little bit better shape than a tax foreclosure. Now, it often will happen that you'll you'll do a mailing to these folks and they will call you and they'll say, "Yeah, I'll give my house away for the amount of the back taxes and the amount of the back taxes is 15,000." And the property hasn't been lived in in 10 years and it's in the bottoms and it basically needs to be torn down. Like you you would want to pay $1,000 for that house and you cannot help them at 15. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, I can, I can, I can take your house, but you are going to need to pay part of the taxes and see what they say. I mean, they may say, no, just let it go to tax sale, which is, you know, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. But you you truly don't know what your situation is until you have talked to the seller and trying to do a bunch of research and try and figure out like how much are the taxes and are there other debts and all that sort of thing is not a good use of your time. 
it costs you like 50 cents to print and mail a a postcard and it's going to take you an hour to research every property so you, you just just don't don't get caught up in that okay send send the mail find out what the situation is um i i will say this as well uh sometimes you uh will run into one of these folks who it's it's like they are they are willing to let the property go to tax sale unless you give them some crazy amount of money for the property so their choice is um i can get nothing I let her go to tax foreclosure sale and I get nothing unless Rob wants to give me $5,000 plus the amount of my taxes. Well, in that case, maybe you want to go bid at the tax sale because you can get the property cheaper by bidding at the tax sale. But before you do, wouldn't you like to get in to the property? Being in contact with a seller is the way to do that. It's the way to get into the property. Now, let me let me add so so i encourage you to go ahead and market to these folks because and it's not because they are behind on taxes it is because you've already identified their properties as being vacant and ugly so there's there's a second problem there right um your your bigger problem might be getting getting these folks to wake up because I run across folks with these vacant properties all the time that think, I mean, they haven't, they haven't walked through the door in five years. They think the bank already foreclosed on them. They think they had a loan and they, they were getting these foreclosure notice and they think that the bank foreclosed on them you know, four or five years ago. They don't even really realize that they still own the property. They have long since kind of checked out. They don't really, they don't really care about it that much. But but when you contact them and say, I'm interested in buying it, they often sort of just throw the postcard away because they're like, no, you're not. Nobody wants this property. It's got this big bank loan on it. Well, if the bank if the bank has abandoned the foreclosure, um, well, you need to go to the podcast on com and look up Joe Lucas. Search for Joe Lucas. He did a whole show on what to do with those zombie foreclosures. The the thing is, I would I would say something in my marketing per, to to especially that particular group of people that indicated that you were you were you were serious and that they should really think about contacting you rather than just let the property go to check to tax sale because they are checked out. They're gonna they're gonna get your they're gonna get your postcard and they're gonna throw it out because they're gonna be like I don't even own that house anymore. So you might you might want to to that group of people you might want to do a letter that says um, you are the owner of this property. I know that for certain. It looks like it's headed to tax sale. Please don't let that happen. I'd really love to. I'd really love to buy it. I might be able to get you some money. Let's at least talk about it. Here's my phone number. Which I know is different than the marketing you would do to a typical vacant, ugly house, but I, I think you, I think you need to say something to kind of shake them awake a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I have another question here, and unfortunately, a bunch of questions just downloaded. So I had my little selector on it, and the stuff downloaded on top of it. Okay, here we go. Um. This is from Brenna from uh, Louisville, Ohio. That's interesting. I didn't know there was a Louisville, Ohio. 
she says, I just recently discovered this podcast. It's an amazing resource. I was listening to the past broadcast with Mike Jacka about presenting offers. And I really like how he talked about not being afraid to let the seller know your repair estimates because it lets them know why you are making the offer you're making. And I really like the idea of sending a letter of intent first before sending a contract to the seller. I'm getting ready to make my very first wholesale offer on three different houses. I'm excited but nervous because, one, they're out-of-state sellers, so I can't just sit down and talk to them, which I'm better at doing than I am over the phone. And, two, I don't want to screw up by not presenting the offers in the right way. So my question is, how do I give a letter of intent exactly? I've been doing some research, but I'm not sure what I'm looking for. Thanks for any help you may be able to give. Okay, Brenna. Um, First of all, get out of your head, girl. What's this? Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to mess this offer up and I'm going to like blow it because I'm not as good on the phone as I am in person. Look, the seller is either going to be motivated to sell or they're not. And short of insulting their children or something, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to turn a motivated seller into an unmotivated one. And it's impossible to turn an unmotivated seller into a motivated one. So you will be fine. All right. Just explain, explain, you know, this, this is what I can do for you. I hope it works for you. If it doesn't, I understand. Right now on the issue of the letter of intent, Mike is a very successful real estate investor. He's been rehabbing properties up in Minneapolis for many, many, many years. He's wholesaled some deals. He owns some rentals. Um, it is often the case that people who are in the same business have have different experiences and opinions that are that are equally valid. So how can it be that Mike would say, well, what you should do first is give them a letter of intent. And I would say, Brenna, don't give a letter of intent, just write up an actual purchase contract. And how, how could we both be right? Well, I think, I think in Mike's case, he feels more, he feels more comfortable sort of explaining things out in writing, which is what the letter of intent does. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to buy your property for this much money if you agree or, or on these terms if you agree, then um, I will send you a contract. I don't feel like the letter of intent really protects you any better than a purchase contract. And it gives the sell, it, and, and it causes a delay because you got to give them the letter of intent and then come back and give them the purchase contract later anyway. And it also gives the seller an opportunity to sort of shop your offer because it's not a, it's not a firm contract. You haven't You've made an offer, but you haven't actually said, I need you to sign this so that we can get this thing going. So he can go around and take it to, you know, anybody else he wants for as long as he wants and says, here's what Brenna offered me. What would you like to offer me? I would use a purchase agreement and just make sure it's got the stuff in it that you need to have in it to protect yourself in the deal. Like, for instance, a an inspection contingency, right? You got to have an inspection contingency. Um if you want to do a letter of intent, yeah, I'm sure you've been I'm sure you've been combing the internet looking for one and you haven't found one. That's because they're 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 maybe not as as formal and complex as you think they are. A letter of intent would basically say, "Dear Mr. Seller, 
regarding your regarding your property at 123 Easy Street, I would like to make you an offer to purchase it for $139,000 subject to a um 14 day inspection period and for cash and to close by such and such a date. So it it's it's kind of like a purchase agreement except it's just written out instead of being on the on the formal form. And if you wanted to talk about the, the here's how I came up with my offer, blah, 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 repair costs. Uh, you should probably do that on the phone, not in the letter of intent. And anyway, I wouldn't do a letter of intent. But all, all it is, it says letter of intent in the top. It's usually one page long. And it says, this is how much I'd like to pay. This is how I'd like to pay it. So cash or terms. This is any other uh, contingencies that the contract is going to have. And this is the close date. And if you agree, I will get to work on a purchase agreement. So thank you for listening uh, to the podcast and thank you for your question. And I hope that uh, clarified things for you a bit. Um, Got two minutes left and one more question. This works out really great. Uh, This one is from RK. There's no name. It just says RK. And it's a rocket mail address. That's, um, I don't think I've seen one of those in a while. Uh, what would you suggest an investor find out about a new market to wholesale and rehab in, for instance, the local economy to determine a good price in the area you are looking at, etc.? Um, well, RK, my advice to any investor who said to me, I, I want to evaluate a, a new market to wholesale in would be unless you're planning on moving there, stop with the grass is greener syndrome. There, there's, there's, there's not a better market to wholesale in in the United States than the one that you live in right now. And you're making an argument to me right, right now. You're like yelling at your radio. You're saying, but, but house prices are so expensive where I live that it's just, you know, you talk about five thousand and fifty thousand dollar properties, and our, our cheapest property is a two hundred fifty thousand dollar property. Great. That means it's a great rehab market. The profits are extremely high and the wholesale profits are extremely high because 30% of a half million dollar house as a profit is a lot more than 30% of a $50,000 house as a profit. Or you may be saying the other thing, the other way around. I'm in a really cheap market and it's hard to make a lot of money. Yeah, but it's easier to sell more deals. Or you may be saying, I'm in the hottest market in the United States and there's just no deals here. So is everybody else. So... RK, I wouldn't be evaluating properties out of town or uh, markets out of town uh, to wholesale and retail in. I'd be learning my own neighborhood like the back of my hand. But thank you for your question. And thanks to everyone who participated in Question and Answer Week this week on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.